In this sermon series, we have been um, discussing different supernatural ministries. We did healing, we did deliverance, we talked about prophecy uh, last week. Uh, these are all really rather direct sorts of ministry. You know, if I want, if I want to heal Robert, uh, then, you know, we seek God for the power to heal, but then, you know, you lay hands on Robert directly or speak a word of healing to him, and we heal person to person. Uh, we prophesy person uh, to person. That is so often how the kingdom of God travels, from person to person. But occasionally, uh, we have to do things indirectly. If I'm trying to heal someone who is not with me, someone at a distance, I'm praying for a sick friend on another island or something like that, and then I can't lay on hands. Um, I, uh, I pray for them, right? I, I ask God uh, to heal them. Uh, I, in a way, encourage God to do the right thing. Which sounds funny, right? Uh, but we do that a lot in our prayer, do we not? Lord, this would be a really cool thing to do, so I pray that, that you do it. And we, we think of creative ways to do that. Um, you know, I beseech thee, O Father in heaven, uh, to reach down from heaven and smite the evildoers that are oppressing my beloved brother. You know, something like that. We try to be all holy about it and, and stuff. Um, how can we do that better? And, and what's really going on in that sort of, sometimes we call it prayer ministry, right? praying uh, for other people. Um, there have been times in my life where praying for others has seemed extremely effective. Uh, and there are times in my life when it seems like a wrestling match with God. Uh, it seems very slow going. Just say amen if you know what I'm talking about. What, what makes prayer work? Prayer is, is, a, big, is a big thing. I was, uh, this was uh, a few years back. I got an emergency phone call in the office one afternoon uh, from a family at church uh, to pray for a beloved family member, their dog. Uh, And they called me to pray uh, for their dog. Well, if you know me at all, you know why they called me to pray for their dog, right? Uh, I am a world-class animal lover. I I probably have more compassion, more long-standing compassion and service to animals than anyone here, would be my guess. I cannot eat them. I cannot wear leather. Um, I have rescued some innumerable amount of animals going back to my youngest, tenderest age. Right, Anna? Always. Um, They're my people, and I've always understood them way better than I understand you. (laughs) And I feel like it, it goes both ways. So, uh, so the family was in tears. Uh, the dad of the family was just weeping on the phone. Uh, what happened is the dog had eaten some poison, just convulsed and fallen into uh, a seizure and, and I guess what amounted to a little doggy coma. They took it to the vet and the vet said, well, you know, not much that, that we can do. A uh, little tiny dog, I'm afraid that, that we might lose him. Called me up, start praying. And so I just hung up the phone and I just abandoned what I was doing, and I just prayed, and, I, and I, I just prayed for about an hour, just sort of pacing. And what I said was, oh, Lord, I'm just going to, you know, pray for this animal. I pray that you would save this animal. And then, then I shifted. I just felt a little bit of inspiration. And I said, Lord, if there's anybody on the planet um, who has rendered love and service to dogs, dogs in need, uh, it would be me. 
I'm gonna, I feel like I've reflected the heart of God for this segment of creation. In authority, I'm going to say, let the dog be healed. Uh, and I did that for just a few minutes. And then, and then it was as if I just felt a break. I just felt a shift in heaven or something. And I knew the dog was going to be fine. I just knew it. So I actually called up the family and I said, the dog will be fine. I said, really? Because, you know, uh, they're doing you know, stuff in the back room of the vet, and the vet says that it's not going to make it. No, I just, I just felt the shift. And, you know, 20 minutes later, they called me back. The dog inexplicably came out of the coma, and the dog, the dog was fine. It's perfect. Dog healing story. There you go. I have plenty of them. I've prayed for a lot of people as well. I just want to say that for the record. Uh, perhaps not as effectively, but... But that was just an illustrative experience for me. It's obvious that when we pray for others, there, there, are, there are things going on. There are dynamics. It's not just that we pray. It's the position and the authority from which we pray sometimes. And what gives us authority to pray for other people? What gives us the position to do it effectively? Well, well I think it's love. Not surprisingly, I think it has to do with love and a track record of love. It's obvious that a lot goes into powerful prayer, into making prayer powerful, I should say. And love plays a huge role in that. So again, sometimes ministries can be direct. Sometimes we have to ask God to do things to barriers of distance or some other sort of, of separation. Um, Sometimes it seems like we have to struggle to get God to do the right thing. Um, sometimes it seems like we have a lot of power in, in that process. How many of you have, have prayed to get God uh, to help someone, uh, to do something that you want, and found yourself just begging God to do it? You know, and falling into that space where, I don't know, your prayers seem to reflect that God is a reluctant God. God, for some reason, is reluctant to bless the person that you're praying for or to change this evil situation that should obviously feel changed, right? So very often in our prayer lives, it seems like we are beggars of a reluctant God. Yes? Okay, there's something wrong with that. That should not be how it is. If Scripture is any guide, he is a loving father eager uh, to bless so I think the better model is, instead of seeing ourselves as beggars of a reluctant God, we see ourselves as partners with God through prayer. We partner with God to release good things in the world. We partner with God to release good things through our prayer. Uh, we've talked about that a lot in our sermon series on supernatural ministry. We don't, you know, just ask God to heal someone we partner with God in the ministry of healing. Where healing is concerned, we do the things that enable us to flow better in the supernatural power that God makes readily available. But we have to do our bit, you know, because the Lord has designed uh, the kingdom as a partnership with us. Well, prayer is no different. Even though it seems to work indirectly, like, you know, we're asking God to do something, he still, in effect, turns around to us and says, okay, now do your bit. I'm partnering with you in this. Do the bit that's going to allow me to release power through the request that you are making. And the ministry of partnering with God to release power through our prayers is called 
intercession. That's what the ministry of intercession is. Have you heard that word before? Intercession, it appears from time to time in Scripture, and it's, it's pretty popular out there in, in churchdom. Uh, it's a pretty big deal. Scripture tells us that these days, intercession <clears throat> is Jesus' full-time ministry. That's what, that's what he's doing now. If you wonder what Jesus has been up to lately, it's, it's intercession. Hebrews 7 says that Jesus lives forever to make intercession for us. Sitting next to God the Father, interceding uh, for the, the saints, for you and, and for me. But what is, that? what is that exactly? When I say the word intercession, most people think about praying to God on behalf of someone else, right? When I say intercessory, you say prayer, right? They, they just go together. In our mind, it's almost inseparable. When I say good intercession, most of you might think of, well, just praying a lot or praying really intensely. Uh, we think of intercession as prayer, but actually, no. That's actually not what it is. I think there's a big under, misunderstanding about this out in, in Christendom. Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe the verse is on the back of your program, he's giving uh, advice uh, to his young uh, pastor, protege Timothy, advice for running a church and various ministries. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. What strikes me about that is Paul lists several things then. He's telling Timothy, this is what you have to do to, to, to have a church that makes a positive and peaceful impact on the community. Uh, let petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made, be offered, some translations will say, for all people in your community, for everyone. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that at least in Paul's mind, petitions, prayers, intercession are different things. Right? Intercession is different than prayer. Intercession is, is different than petitions or requests. It's a, it's a separate sort of ministry. Some of it I can figure out. Petitions, well, I mean, you know, when you petition God, you ask him to do stuff. You make requests, and indeed some of your translations will say requests or supplications or something like that. Prayer, well, is prayer different than petition? Well, sure, prayer can be a lot of different things. Prayer is basically conversation with God. It can be listening to God on behalf of someone else, which is kind of what the ministry of prophecy is. But intercession is different than both of them. It's not petitioning God. It's not asking God to do things. And neither is it just conversation with God. It stands alone, at least in Paul's mind. Intercession is not the act of praying. Intercession is the act that makes our prayers powerful. It's the thing that we do so that our prayers really work. Got it? Got it so far? The word intercession, that that Greek word... uh, that gets used uh, in this case, uh, literally means, and um, kano uh, is a word, it means to, to interconnect, to connect across a gap. Right? And to be an intercessor means to be a connector or a go-between. Your intercessor is, in modern English, your representative. If I intercede for you, I function as your representative go before God. 
the act of intercession is not just the appearance before God, it's everything that makes me a proper representative of you. It's anything that makes me connect with you. Right? It's an interconnection, so when I intercede, I'm connected to you on one hand and to God on the other. I am, you know, in effect, the, the bridge, the connector uh, across the gap. So the question is, how do you make good connections to God on one hand and good connections to people on the other? That process of making connections, that's intercession. Becoming an intercessor, the thing that makes you a proper representative. That's the activity of intercession. How does, how does one connect well with people? Well, what do you think? If you put it like that, how do you connect to people? You hang out with them? Depends on the quality of the hangout, but yeah, sure. What else? Stunned silence. I know. My sermon has been so meaty that you're just... You start by smiling. Robert says, well, you, you, you sacrifice. Yeah. You, somebody else said love, and I think both are true. You connect with people by, by loving them and loving them well. What makes great love? Well, sacrifice. No greater love is a man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends, says Jesus. When you sacrifice lovingly for someone, you've connected with them. That's, that's quality connection. It's not just by having a good time with someone. It's by loving someone selflessly and sacrificially. And if you've been hanging around Jesus for any length of time, that probably makes sense uh, to you. Let's uh, take a look at one of his teachings on the subject from uh, John 15. Um, it's from the Gospel of John. Anything in John is a little bit... Uh, little bit elliptical. It's a meditative sort of book. It's written in a Hebrew fashion rather than a Greek fashion, which means you're, you have to kind of stew on it uh, to get it. But he says this uh, in uh, what is a, a very uh, rich chapter, John 15. I'm just going to read verses 7 through 10. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let's just stop there for a moment. That is incredible. Ask God whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That, in my opinion, is a description of uh, functional prayer. If your prayer life is healthy, uh, if your petition life with God is healthy, then you ask God whatever you wish, and you get it, period. That would be nice. That would be very, very cool. How many of you feel like that's how you roll with the Lord? Now we know who to pray. Who should pray for us. Um, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ah, see it has a clause. If, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, what does that mean? If you remain in me and my words remain in you. If you remain in me, Jesus is saying, well, I mean, some sort of connection. What does it take to remain in Jesus? Um, He says a little more, let my words remain in you. What does that mean? Well, again, it's the Gospel of John. It's a very metaphorical Hebrew way of saying it. But if Jesus' words remain in me, it feels like, well, that, that probably means that I'm embracing what he says. Right? That I'm 
embracing his teaching. So if I'm really into Jesus and I really live out and embrace his teaching, then I get to ask God whatever I want and it will be done. That to me begs an obvious question. What did Jesus teach? Uh, Because it would be worth following that teaching if I get to ask God whatever I want and God will do it for me. That, that is worth the investment, uh, definitely. Uh, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. In other words, God wants you to get at least the good things that you ask for. That makes him look good. So God is into this, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, you embrace my teachings, you sort of manifest them. God's really going to want to send fruitfulness through your life. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Pretty much the rest of the chapter is about love at this point. Because what did Jesus command us to do? Love God, love people. It's all about love. And he defined love as, Robert, sacrificing yourself for someone else. Uh, if you're a really good lover, and, and if you, you, know, you love with kingdom love, self-sacrifice, right? Not, not just sort of enjoying the people around you, but you know, dying for the people around you, giving yourself up for God and for others, then Evidently, your prayer life is going to be awesome. The currency of love is sacrifice. Do it well, and you will be a fantastically effective prayer warrior. If you want to move God to bless someone, love that person sacrificially first. You following? Uh, Enter into their lives, shoulder their burdens, assume their suffering as your own. And that's what Christ did for us, right? What I'm describing to you is is the life of Jesus. And that's why he is so perfectly able to be a full-time intercessor for us now. What did Jesus do? Well, he didn't just sort of pray for us at a distance. No, he came down and he, he really bonded with us. How did he bond with us? Well, first by living with us, by entering into our suffering, into our challenging situations by entering into our battles against temptation. I mean, he became us, right? That, he, he bonded with us that much. And then he literally gave his life for us. He just manifested loving relationship and sacrifice like nobody's business. And all of that was preparatory to his enduring ministry of intercession. You know? He became our representative in a fantastically direct, loving, bonding sort of way. And now whatever he asks for on our behalf, he gets. That's good news. Snaps for Jesus? Sure. So just to sum up all of that, intercession is the act of sacrificially, lovingly connecting to people so that you can represent them before the Lord in prayer. Our sacrifices of love pave the way for God's response in power. Because in the kingdom of God, love always precedes power. That is, 
one of the great kingdom principles. The whole story of God and humanity. It is not enough for God to be powerful. He is loving and powerful. Right? He doesn't just flaunt his muscle. He makes himself vulnerable. He's not just mighty. He is humble and giving. Love and power go together. That is the nature of kingdom love. So God is essentially saying this about our prayer life. I would be happy to release all sorts of power through your prayers. You manifest the love first so that people understand that my power and my love are perfectly connected. I will never be powerful. I will never drop the hammer unless it's a loving thing to do. I'm a loving father, not just a big man. So our bit of that is to manifest love, and then we get to manifest God's power. That's the ministry of intercession. We manifest love through showing sacrifice, sacrifices of love. All right, so let's just kind of make that practical a little bit. Uh, A few tips for doing it well to wrap up uh, the teaching today. How do you go about sacrificing lovingly for people? Yeah, that's a pretty broad question. Uh, Let me just give you a couple different ways that I think about it uh, to help me in my ministry of intercession. Uh, Number one, I think about what I call situational sacrifice. I sacrifice lovingly for people by entering into their situation. Um, You might think of identifying strongly with people or adopting people into your life or into your ohana, sharing their burdens. Uh, Jesus did this when he became human. There's obvious ways that people are doing this. Uh, Mindy is interceding uh, for uh, Indonesians uh, in Sumatra because she is actually gone and become one of them. A taller, paler version. Uh, But, you know, she's, she's living that life and sort of accepting their burdens, raising them up by sacrificing uh, for them uh, through, uh, you know, the school that she runs and stuff like that. Some of you have moved into the more troubled neighborhoods on the island. Why? Well, you're just sort of adopting that community as your own. Whatever makes that community threatening, well, since you're there, it now threatens you as well. You have made yourself vulnerable as they are vulnerable. You are sharing what you have with them. You're sharing your resources. Why? Because they're you. They're you. You have broken down the walls, right? We run safe houses and justice houses for people coming out of challenges. It's not enough just to advocate for their good treatment. What you do is you bring them into your family. You bring them into your home or you share a home with them, which is a better way to say it, right? There is no separation. You have join them in their situation. That is a direct way uh, to, to love uh, sacrificially. Um, it's often said to me, well, parents have a lot of authority for praying for their children, right? Oh, well, heck yeah. Uh, because your children are you. <laughs> you know, that's, there's a bond of love and sacrifice there. Uh, and as long as you don't get let you know, anything rupture that relationship, fear, anger, unforgiveness along the way. You have a tremendous amount of authority to pray for, for people whom you have loved, uh, in, whom, uh, in whose situation you have joined uh, throughout your life. 
Why are my prayers effectively uh, for, for dogs? They're my people. They're my, they're my pack. Um, you know, they suffer, I suffer. Um, and uh, I've done a lot to identify uh, with their plight, uh, you might say. We could go on and on, but you get that, right? Uh, you join their situation. If, if your friend uh, is, has no money and you have money, well, your money is their money. You give them what you have. Uh, you become poor together. <laughs> that, that's intercession. Now you have bonded with that friend. And among other benefits, you are able to approach the Lord on that friend's behalf. You are able to represent that person before the Lord now because you have manifested love. The Lord will now let you manifest power. Yeah? yeah. Amen? Amen? Chihu? Snaps? Hallelujah? I don't know. Whatever. Thank you. Uh, the other way is a little bit uh, different. It's what I call sympathetic sacrifice. Uh, it's sort of uh, joining in a person's experience, even though you cannot join directly in their situation. For example, if you want to pray for, if you want to intercede for a person who, say, has cancer, you can't actually enter into cancer. That would be a bad idea. Um, but you can, however, fast from food or offer sleepless vigils or open your home for hospice care or do any number of other things that exercise your willingness to participate in deprivation, to participate in suffering on account of their situation. Right? You suffer in sympathy, although you're not directly, directly experiencing the person's exact challenge. You're sacrificing in sympathy to that challenge, and therefore you're exercising a sort of experiential attachments. You hurt, therefore I will hurt. I will make a sacrifice that is painful to me, and I will join you in your struggle in love. And that actually counts. You don't really need to share the person's exact burdens, but you need to share the experience of being burdened. You following me? Now, for how many does that sound psychologically unhealthy? <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean? Someone I love is hurting, so I should just go make myself miserable? Uh, I shared this understanding of intercession with a famous Christian psychologist once, and he said, yeah, that's not unhealthy at all. I don't even think that's biblical. Uh, so, oh, really? <laughs> I opened up the Bible, and he, he walked away from the conversation. But um, uh, a good example is, is fasting, and it's a very scriptural example. Um, uh, Jesus... Uh, fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, and he was tempted in every way common uh, to humanity. You know, he didn't have to do that. He went out of his way to do that, right? Sort of a potent life experience, and he did that before he started his public ministry. Well, he was, part of that was he was identifying with us. He was choosing to put himself through something unpleasant so that he could minister to people in unpleasant uh, situations. But there are other examples as well. Esther. Esther is going to go into the, queen, excuse me, into the king's throne room and make a request on behalf of her people, the Jews, if you know the book of Esther. Preparatory to that, she asked the entire Jewish nation to fast for three days, to join her in her deprivation, her rest. She might have been killed for going into the king's throne room unbidden, and so she asked everybody to join in her 
sacrifice in a way. Um, Ezra uh, did the same thing, asked the people to fast uh, before embarking on his adventure of of, uh, going back to Jerusalem and helping rebuild the temple. Nehemiah did the same thing. Daniel uh, was struggling with understanding uh, the, the future of his people who were in captivity. So he very famously went on a fast. It lasted 21 days. Just sort of deprived himself of all sorts of choice foods and drink and stuff like that. Um, the prophetess Anna was widowed at a young age. Scripture tells us, the Gospels tell us that she went to the temple and she <clears throat> fasted and prayed like for years until finally she was one of sort of two contemporary prophets that recognized the baby Jesus when he showed up and got to declare him uh, to, to Israel. What was she doing? She was interceding for her people for the coming of the Messiah. And she was fasting to sort of enter into their suffering. This is not suffering to appease God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer so that God pays attention to me. That would be unhealthy. And that's what, that's what pagans do. There are lots of uh, accounts out there. When, when you want to get your God's attention in various pagan traditions, what do you do? Well, you, you hurt yourself, you cut yourself, you, you bloodlet, um, something like that. Because that's, that's, how, that's how you show God that you're serious. Show your God that you're serious. You get his attention because, you know, God's blood, your God is bloodthirsty. Um, but, but, but this is different. This is not... This is not suffering to appease God. This is sacrificing as a way to bond with people. That's what that is. I'll do anything to bond with them. You know, I will sort of go through what they're going through any way that I can in order to represent them lovingly before God. In order to manifest love somehow. I just want to manifest love. Because once love is out there, then the power can follow. So it's, it's, it's different. It's different keeps it from being psychologically unhealthy. Uh, Paul says this to the Colossians. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up with my flesh what is still lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Colossians 1, 24. A really mysterious verse that offends a lot of people. I quote that sometimes uh, to seminarians and Christian conference attendees, and I say, is that in the Bible? What do you mean? I am suffering to make up for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's not about atonement. That's not about his suffering on the cross, you know, that sort of released atonement to the world. He's not talking about that sort of afflictions. I think he's talking about Christ's intercessory afflictions. Christ was not able to personally meet everyone on earth. He was not able to personally meet the Colossians. So Paul goes to the Colossians and he suffers for them. In that, he is an agent of Christ. And by suffering, by sacrificing for them, he's manifesting selfless sacrificial love. Christ wasn't able to do that personally. He called Paul to do it instead, just like he calls you to suffer for people in your life. Particularly the people that Christ has not met personally yet. And Paul says he does that for the sake of for the sake of the church, for the sake of gathering, in other words. It's a biblical ministry. And it kind of comes down to figuring out ways to suffer for people, which sounds terrible. That just sounds whacked, right? What do you mean? Figuring out ways to suffer for people. Uh, But again, it's not the suffering. It's the love that the suffering 
manifests. It's the love that the sacrifice demonstrates. That's a requirement of power. Love and power must go together, so we must figure out some way to manifest sacrificial love for the people we're praying for. Somehow. It can be direct, it can be indirect, it can be situational, it can be spiritual, but we have to come up with something. And God is like, I'll take anything. You know, even if you just want to give up food, just manifest the sacrificial love somehow, and then then I can send the power through your representation. Uh, We've talked about how important faith is uh, to the release of miracles in the world. I just want to say as a footnote that it's not just suffering for someone. It's not just fasting on someone's behalf. It's fasting with faith. You know, it's like, oh, I have to sacrifice for someone. That sucks. Well, now you're not operating in faith. You're operating in fear or anger. And that's going to stop up the flow. So we love joyfully. And it is said of Jesus that he went to the cross for the joy set before him in order to embrace the joy that the sacrifice uh, would release. So it's when you're suffering for someone, when you enter into their situation, when you share what you have with them, you bring them into their home, you bond with them in the neighborhood, or you lift their burden somehow, or you, you fast uh, for them at a distance. It's going to make you feel bad, but in that moment of feeling bad, you say, I choose joy. This is worth it. This is love, and it's going to be good. Boom! Now now you're an intercessor. Now you're a kingdom person. Now you're behaving like Jesus behaved. It was not easy for him, but I I think he was always joyful, faith-filled in a way. That's that's the ministry. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's it's a hard ministry, and you'd be happy to know that the Holy Spirit does help us. Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 6 of that epistle, in all prayer and intercession, again, prayer and intercession, different things, in all prayer and intercession, pray always in or with the Spirit, and in this way intercede for all the saints. In other words, let the Spirit pray through you. Praying in the Spirit is a phrase that Paul uses a number of times. Sometimes uh, people think he's using it to describe the use of the gift of tongues. You know, if you are one of those people who have the gift of tongues and can pray in tongues, well, that's the Spirit praying through you. You probably don't understand the tongues that you speak. We don't know what the Spirit is saying. But Paul says, well, the Spirit can intercede through you that way. The Holy Spirit has certainly suffered on your account so he's able to intercede through you. He might use, you know, the voice of TJ to release those intercessions, those prayers uh, into uh, the world. Paul told the Romans, the Spirit takes a share in our weakness, which is a perfect description of intercessory attachment. We don't know what to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with inexpressible groans. What he's describing here is sort of the supernatural ministry of intercession. On occasion, you'll be praying for someone and the Spirit will come upon you or flow through you. The Spirit will sort of pray through you through tongues or through groans or through travail, sometimes Christians call it. How many of you have ever been gripped by an intercessory spirit or seen it happen on someone? It looks painful, doesn't it? Some of you are like, oh yeah, yeah, we've seen that. It's it's wild. The Spirit is always interceding for us, and He will sometimes use individuals to release that into uh, the world. 
so I call it prophetic intercession sometimes. You can actually sometimes feel it in, in your body. You know, it happens is all I'm saying. I mention that because I'm going to pray uh, for the spirit of intercession in a couple of minutes and it may manifest on some people. It can be, it can be emotional because sacrifice and suffering often is. Um, just so you know, that's a gift. That's the spirit interceding with us. Uh, and it's a hard ministry, so I'm glad for it. In closing, if your relationships manifest kingdom love, then your prayers will manifest kingdom power. That's it. Just remember that, if nothing else. If your relationships manifest kingdom love, not worldly love, uh, but kingdom love, self-sacrificial, bonding love, then your prayers will manifest kingdom power. Because in the kingdom of God, love always precedes power one way or another. Because God wants us to associate his coming power with his perfect love. So that we trust him instead of just fearing him. Amen? Amen. Who's up for that ministry? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That, that prophecy sounded good. Let's go back to that one. In some ways, I think intercession is, is, is what all of us do full time, right? We are agents of God taking his love, his sacrificial love to the world. Everything we do uh, should be loving and sacrificial and intercessory uh, in, in that sense. The friendships that we make, and any, any disruption to our schedule, any sacrifice of our resources, any investment of our person, our gifts, our efforts. Yeah, it's costly, but that's love, and that's what qualifies you uh, to be a person of, of power uh, in the world. In some sense, I think you know, most of you are already interceding. I do believe that the Lord would like to just call us forward into that. You know? Would you like your prayers to be more powerful? That's the invitation. Would you like to ask whatever you wish and have it done for you? Yes. All right, well, what it will cost you is, is love. And the thing about love is one of those few things that is its own reward. When done well, even if love is sacrificial, it makes you feel complete. And it's what you're hungering to do anyway. Just got to have the courage to do it. So I'm going to pray for that, if you would. Go ahead and stand with me. Prayer ministers and prophets, you just get ready. Oh, Holy Spirit, it is written that you intercede uh, through us, with us, and for us. Uh, I pray, Father, humbly, and, uh, and I think with awareness that you would grow us in the life and the ministry of intercession, that you would make us better lovers of people. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage uh, to sacrifice and to suffer uh, joyfully and confidently, knowing that this is what makes us powerful on earth. I pray, Father, that you would hear and honor our prayers, our sincere and heartfelt prayers, 
respond uh, by making us more powerful prayer warriors and then, Lord, respond to what we're praying. Do your work here in this body. I pray that you would make us soft-hearted and strong-armed. Come, Holy Spirit.